You are listening to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. Our vision is to treasure Christ above all else and live for more. How many of you have read chapter 7 at some point or parts of it? Okay. All right. Most of the time, preachers will preach the first six chapters and then just quit when they get to number seven. <laughs> it's that kind of a chapter. And in about an hour or so, you'll know why if you, if you don't know already. This is an impossible text, I think, or at least to cover it in one hour. This text is going to, at certain points, stretch your imagination and mind um, quite to a degree. And I'm going to strain with human language to explain supernatural things, things that we do have explained or presented to us in this, in this Daniel 7. Again, it worked out perfectly that we, we, we just had a prayer time and it was shorter and not, not, and not worship with singing like we usually do. Uh, usually that takes a little bit longer, so I was kind of happy so that I can actually have an hour to cover what I intend to cover from, from uh, Daniel 7. So, um, so it's probably going to take about an hour. If you're wondering, why, what is this guy doing? Just, just, he's past his 45 minutes, so what is he doing? You know? uh, so hopefully we'll be out, out of here by 12 o'clock. Hey, 12 o'clock. It's 12. It's not 12.30 anymore. Um, but that's not the point, right? The point is not to be out of here at 12. The point is to be in God's word, to be in his presence, right? Amen to that? Amen. So what I'm going to do is attempt just an overarching summary of this chapter. But even in doing that, I will struggle with what to say and what not to say and, and to still make sense in the big picture, of, you know, and at the same time to stay within our time frame. Uh, we are going to at least read every verse in the chapter. We're going to do that by God's, by God's help. Uh, but do not expect a full explanation of every verse because that is an impossibility to do that in an hour. I, I probably won't even be able to do that in weeks. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not that great of a preacher, but I am, I am getting better by God's grace, I think. <laughs> so I'm going to focus on a general summary and, and camp on a few practical things on how this text speaks to us today. Again, this, this Daniel 7, is, it's filled, it's, a prof, it's prophetic literature. The Christian world has many different views on it, right? And we're, we're, it, but the thing is, I won't be able to, to present to you all of those. It, it'll be very, I'm going to be very, very limited to that today. By way of preface, let me just tell you that there are two basic ways of, of viewing human history. One is that the future is open. The future is uncertain, uh, and the possibilities are endless, that anything could happen, that everything is, you know, hangs in a shaky balance, and, and if you believe that, you will live a life of anxiety. I believe that's most people on planet Earth. You will be stressed, and you will be depressed. If you think that the future is, is ruled, this is the second view of, of how you can view history and, and humankind. If you think that the future or the future, if you think that the future is ruled and controlled by God and that he is in charge and that he is good, that he is working all things for his glory and he's working all things for the good of his people. If that's what you believe, if, if you believe that God ultimately has a destiny and plan for history, you will sleep better at night. That's, that's guaranteed by, the, by God's word, not by me. You will turn off your phone a lot more often, you won't watch as much news, and you will live differently with less anxiety. I'm saying a lot here. <laughs> My whole goal today is to prove to you, and I think I don't need to prove to you because I, I'm pretty sure that most of you, if not all of you, know, know this, prove to you from the perfect prophetic word of God that God knows that God rules the future. Simply put. And as the kid's song say, says, he's got the whole world in his hands. He really does. So as we get into Daniel 7, and it's going to be a little bit of a, it's a lot of information. I'm going to throw a lot at us today. Just hang in there and be praying for me. Be praying for your heart. It's a lot of information. And I do urge you and challenge you to go home and read this chapter and read the whole book of Daniel again so that we can understand this chapter in this book a little bit better. 
So as we get into Daniel 7, just to catch up, uh, if, if you are new to the series, and even if you're not, we still need a little bit of a recap. The story of Daniel begins in chapter 1. Believe it or not, it begins in chapter 1. He's a teenager in a, in a nation called Israel. Now, Israel is the, is the nation of God, picked by God. That nation is invaded and overtaken by a pagan foreign king and kingdom. We saw this in chapter 1. Now, he is Daniel. Uh, he is in this new nation, and he gets a new name. He, they try to convert him to a new religion. They brainwash him. They castrate him even. All this seemingly lost and hopeless. Nonetheless... Daniel remains unwavering and faithful to God in a fallen and horrible empire, and he does so for 70 years. At this point, well, now we're going to go back a little bit, but at this point, he's, he's seven, he's, he's, an older, he's an older guy. So as we jump to Daniel 7 today, a secondary point that we can make right away um, is just because you're old, it doesn't mean that you're done. Okay, I, I meet so many people that say, I'm retired now, I'm not going to come to church as much, I'm not going to serve in ministries anymore because I'm retired. No, 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 no. You can retire from your job, but you do not retire from your faith, and that's the story of Daniel. I believe that you may have even more time when you retire, right? Uh, so just giving you a perspective there. And what, what happens in Daniel 7 is we get prophetic literature. And up until this point, people have dreams, and Daniel interprets those dreams. Here, Daniel gets dreams and visions. Dreams are when you're asleep, and visions are when you're awake. And in this case, as we see in Daniel 7, when it comes to visions, an angel comes to interpret the vision for Daniel. And so what we're going to get into is what's called apocalyptic or prophetic imagery. And we get a lot of that in Daniel 7, a lot of prophetic imagery. And the Bible is about 25% prophetic in, in nature when it was written, telling us about the future. You can go to college and you can study uh, history, but not prophecy, okay? Because apart from the Word of God, apart from the Spirit of God, all we can do is look at the past and maybe learn from the past. All we can do is maybe assess the present, but we cannot predict the future, right? The Bible actually does so, which is pretty amazing. Now, God looks at everything as history and prophecy is his way of telling us what he already knows and what he already knows that will happen long before it does. Now, part of what happens in prophetic literature God uses a lot of, like I said, creative imagery, and you're going to see a lot of that in this, in this um, chapter. And so you're, you're going to need to use your imagination a little bit for, for today. A couple of things I want to say as well. I'm still opening up, right? This is still just the, the intro. <laughs> just by way of prefacing uh, Daniel, but especially Daniel 7, it shifts between the seen and the unseen world. This is crucial. I mean, the Bible is a supernatural book, right? It is. And those who do not believe in the supernatural will not be able to understand Scripture. That's just simply put. The reality is that right now, right now as we're gathered here, right, Summit Church, just as there are human beings and, you know, that's us, there are divine beings, right? There is a physical world, the one that we live in, and then there's a spiritual world. And right now, behind the world that we see, the world that we can touch and, and smell, and, and the, the, the world that's tangible to us is a world that occasionally God lets us look into. And that's exactly what happens in Daniel 7. You need to know that ultimately, that world, the unseen world, and this world, the seen world, are connected and they work together. It's not a dichotomy. They're not... And they're different universes. Kind of, no, no. They are, they are working together. In the unseen world, there are angels and demons and God and Satan and other divine beings that I believe that when we're going to see, when we go to heaven, we're going to see, we're going to be blown away by that, just as there are people in this world. Now, I'll say this again. Apocalyptic literature uses figurative language and a lot of it. And this is where it can create a lot of, you know, confusion for those that want to interpret, right? So it's very hard at times to interpret, and that's exactly what we see again in Daniel 7. Namely, human language 
straining to explain things that are supernatural, right? And that will happen. And I don't think any, if you hear a, a teacher saying, I know with precision exactly what these, no, you do not know with precision, right? We can learn more. God can enlighten us. God can, but you will not know with precision. We do not know with precision. Now, that being said, as we get into prophecy, there are things that are in the open hand and things that we're going to see in the Bible, especially in Daniel that are in the closed hand, right? What do I mean by that? So closed hand, meaning there are principles that we do not budge from. We do not. If we do, we're not Christian anymore. We're just not. Let me give an example. The fact that salvation is through grace alone and faith alone, that's a closed hand principle. We don't budge from that. Because if we do, we can call ourselves something else than Christ followers, right? Open hand, on the other hand, these are secondary issues, things that are unclear, that are not majors in the Bible, right? Example, do we all pray together in, the uni in unison like we just did? Or do we kind of take turns and we, you know, do we, do we all speak in tongues? Or is it just, or that's just kind of a Holy Spirit gift? Or, or maybe that was in the past. And so you, what you're going to see in the closed hand today, so what we're going to see in the closed hand today, Jesus Christ is the King of Kings and he is coming on the clouds. That's closed hand. If you don't believe that, I'm sorry to say you're not a Christian yet. And he's coming to install his physical kingdom once and for all. What we're going to see in the open hand, things that we can still kind of talk about and pray about and have coffee over with our Bibles open, and right? And there's, there are a lot of those in the Bible. We're going to see a bunch of horns today. We're going to see a bunch of beasts today, and that's in the open hand. Okay, that's in the open hand. I want us to really understand that, okay? So we're going to... Keep some of this in the open hand, but I will tell you how I see it, how I personally see it, and what I think the interpretation is, but I challenge you to go home and study for yourselves, and maybe we'll have coffee, and if you have a different understanding, let's talk about it, let's study together, let's pray together, and let's learn from one another. First things first, the first point that we need to make is this, and by the way, because there's so much information I'm going to have six points, major points, and I think the way God helped me structure it is a little bit easier to understand if I, would just, if I were to just kind of throw a bunch of information at you. So we have six major points with some sub-points. Just keep that in mind. So the first, first point that we need to make is this. God knows the future, and he is in full control of it. God knows the future, and he's in full control of it, and we see this right in our text. Now let's get into our passage Here's, here's what the first eight verses say, and we're going to go kind of verse by verse. We're going to go section by section, I guess, uh, rather. So chapter 7, 1 to 8. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, uh, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a, a lion and had eagle, eagle's wings. Then I, I, as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made uh, to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, the second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this, I looked, and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird, uh, of a bird on its back, and the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up another them came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. It's a mouthful, isn't it? So it starts with, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. I don't know if, you're, if you caught this, but 
what, what, what we need to understand is that, is that here in chapter 7, we're going to go back a few chapters to Daniel chapter 2, right? And what you're going to get here in chapter 7 is four beasts, right? We kind of saw the description of these four beasts, which are four successive kingdoms, predicting, prophesying, anticipating human history. And this follows the same imagery that we see that we have in Daniel 2, if you remember Daniel 2. And what we find in Daniel 2, just to kind of uh, uh, connect the two, is this image of this great warrior, this great warrior king, and it showed four different uh, um, nation states or empires that would rise and that would fall, one overtaking the other and expanding the borders uh, in, in, in the empires. So Daniel is going to go back and he's going he's to look at these same four kingdoms in the same order. And he's going to do it the same, I think, in, in more of a descriptive way here in chapter 7. And what Daniel does, he typifies different movements. And he typifies different nations and different empires with different animals, as you've noticed. But do you know that we actually still do this today? We actually still do this today. So if I were to tell you that the United States of America is typified by what animal? An eagle, exactly. If you're a Democrat, a donkey. If you're a Republican, it's an elephant. So we still use animals as images, as symbols and signs for groups of people and movements. We still do this. Now, it may be hard for us to understand what Daniel is talking about, but again, 2,500 years from now, just picture that, 2,500 years from now, because this was written 25 years ago. So 25 years, 2,500 years from now, if you're like, well, the donkey went against the elephant to see who would rule under the eagle, we would all be like, oh, that's an election year. That's 2024, 2020, Trump versus Biden or whatever, Democrats versus the Republicans, because those symbols make sense to us today, right? Just like these symbols in Daniel chapter 7 probably made sense for them as well, right? So, so let me deal with these symbols, with these images, best I know how in succession, the way Daniel kind of goes through them. Well, the first image is of a winged lion. Have you ever seen one? <laughs> and that is referring to the nation of Babylon. He is referring to the nation of Babylon, and we saw this empire rule in the previous chapters of Daniel, right? We learned that it was ultimately overtaken, but the nation of Babylon, their symbol was a winged lion. If you were to go into ancient, the ancient city of Babylon, you would pass through something called the Ishtar Gates. And the symbol, the icon on the, the, these gates, Ishtar Gates, was a winged lion. Ah, go figure. How do we know that? Well, archaeologists have excavated this. Eventually, archaeologists catch up with the Bible, right? That's what happens, and we appreciate them doing that. The way it works is, is kind of like this. The Bible tells us how history unfolds, and eventually, eventually they dig it up and confirm what the Bible says. That's what usually happens, and we're grateful for that. And by the way, the Ishtar gates are on display at the museums and some museums in Germany and London if you want to go see them. So people back in the day would have understood this is referring to the Babylonian Empire. In addition... When it says that there was one who had his wings plucked, still kind of remember that, that we read that in verse 4. We looked at this previously with King Nebuchadnezzar, right? Nebuchadnezzar, there we go. He was the most powerful empire and emperor in the world, and then literally God clipped his wings. God humbled him. Remember, that I think Flo was, uh, took care of that, that chapter. He came down from his throne, and he literally lost his mind for seven years. And then it says that his mind was restored to him. That's exactly what happened. Now, the next empire, king, and kingdom that is given here is of a lumpy bear, right? A lopsided bear. And the lumpy bear is the Medo-Persian Empire. The Medo-Persian Empire came in and conquered uh, the, uh, the Babylonians and then expanded its borders. The reason that it's a lopsided bear or a lumpy bear, one side bigger than the other, the Medo-Persian Empire was formed by two empires coming together. But the Persian Empire was much bigger and stronger than the Mede Empire. Eventually, the Persian Empire overtook the Mede Empire. History tells us that. That's why if you study world history, uh, they'll talk a lot about the Persians, but not so much about Medo-Persia. 
That's the bear. So the first is the Babylonian Empire. The second is the Medo-Persian Empire. And it's interesting to note that both of these empires from the prophecy were fulfilled in Daniel's lifetime. How cool is that? The third beast that we see in Daniel chapter 7 is of a leopard with wings, another interesting-looking beast or animal. Let me ask you this question. How fast is the leopard? Pretty fast. If you see a leopard and you're like, oh, I got to run, it's probably better just to lay low and surrender. It's over for you. <laughs> what about if you put four wings on a leopard? Yeesh. Yeah, it's like turbo leopard or whatever. They're really fast then. They can outrun anything or anyone, and in, in, in with the wings, that means that if something gets in their way, it just goes over. You cannot stop this beast. This was a prophecy about Greece and the Greek Empire led by historically Alexander the Great. He started ruling and reigning around the age of 23, at the age of 23. Think about that. And history tells us that within 10 years, he conquered the entire known world, leopard with a bunch of wings. This guy was fast. He overtook what was the Babylonian Empire and what was the Medo-Persian Empire and expanded it within 10 years. This guy worked super fast. We are not sure if this is authentic history or just folklore, but after conquering the entire known world at the age of 33, it is said that Alexander the Great just sat down and wept because there was nothing else to conquer, and then he died. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what to say about that. And in Daniel chapter 7, it is said that, that this kingdom would be divided into four horns, right? Remember that? We read that, which means four rulers. It is important to know that history tells us that Alexander the Great had no heir. Usually when you die, when you would die, you know, you'd like, you would uh, leave a company to an heir. You would leave a nation to an heir back in the day, right? Alexander had no heir. So when he died at the age of 33, the Greek empire was divided between four generals that ruled under Alexander the Great. But this part of the prophecy was not fulfilled in Daniel's lifetime. That this came way after he was dead. Now, how sovereign of God... <laughs> That he told Daniel that the Babylonian Empire would fall, and then the Medo-Persian Empire would, would fall, and then the, the, the Greek Empire would come, and, and Alexander the Great would rise up, and Alexander the Great would, would die, and then four generals would take over that kingdom. Let me just say this, church. God is surprised by absolutely nothing. <laughs> How awesome is that? God sees and knows everything. God rules and controls all History for us seems like it could go in a number of different ways, right? And we sometimes we have, we have conversations, hey, I think this is going to happen. This is going to happen next year and this and next year, right? For God, everything in history is a reenactment, right? Because he knows exactly what's going to happen. He already knows and he already controls the future. That's what God is showing us here. That's what God is revealing to us here. And by the way, he is not just sovereign, but he is what? He is loving too. So would you please, let me, kind of a side note, would you please stop your stressing and stop your fearing and stop your anxiety? God will take care of you and your family. He is sovereign, but he is loving too. Now back to our beasts. Number four. The fourth beast. I believe this is the Roman Empire. A lot of commentaries say this. It was the largest empire in the history of the world, bigger than the Babylonian bigger than the Medo-Persian Empire, and bigger even than the Greek Empire. It expanded its borders and boundaries even beyond that of the Greek Empire. In addition, the Roman Empire was the longest standing empire in the world. The Roman Empire, did you know this, stood for, for how long? 1,700 years, technically, technically, for 1,700 years. How crazy is that? I didn't know that. Actually, I was close, but... Now, you think of America, you're just, what, a couple of a hundred years old? But the Roman Empire stood for 1,700 years. And ultimately, the Roman Empire, as we see in chapter 7, Daniel spends a lot of time on this. It's typified by, by a monstrosity. It is so different. It even says that it's so different than all the other before. Parts of different animals, teeth of iron. This is like demonic forces coming together into some superpower, which is exactly what happened with the Roman Empire. Interesting. Well, let me ask. 
why does the Bible and God and human history drive forward to the Roman Empire? Why so much focus on it, Daniel? Why is it so significant? Because that's the empire in charge when Jesus Christ entered into human history. And that is huge. He came under the rule of the Roman Empire. What God is prophesying here, church, is the first and the second coming of Jesus Christ. And we now live in the middle of these two times. We live in between the times. The first, he already came the first time in a manger, and he's coming again. And we live in between these two times. What happened in the days of Jesus, it is the Roman Empire that sentenced him to death. It is the Roman Empire that executed him. He, he rises from, from, from death under the rule of the Roman Empire. The point is this. There are multiple ways to view history. If you study history in universities or at college, sometimes they will focus on concepts or ideological movements and oftentimes significant dates, other times prominent leaders. For God, and for us also, for God, the center of history is his son, Jesus Christ. And absolutely everything goes and comes from and focuses on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And by the way, your life needs to do the same. My life needs to do the same. Everything that you do, everything that you think about, everything that you plan, everything that you decide, whenever you take a breath, needs to revolve around your King and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the point. And so, all of this was driving toward the coming of the Roman Empire. And then, this is what I believe. And then, I believe this chapter jumps to the very, very end. Ready for this? The reconfiguration of the remnants of the ancient Roman Empire. That's how it all ends. This is what I believe. There are many views here. I urge you, please, study. This is, again, an open, open hand issue. We now live in the time between the times, like I said. The time that Jesus called uh, the time of the Gentiles. The first coming was under the Roman Empire. Jesus' second coming, we are told, will be what I believe, under what I believe is prophesied here, a reconstitution of the remnant of the ancient Roman Empire. It will rise again in a different way, but it will be a beast nevertheless. Church, this is what we can all clearly observe and see. Ultimately, everything that God creates Satan counterfeits. Jesus is the king of kings, and the Antichrist is the counterfeit king. He is against Jesus. The truth is that the physical kingdom of God is coming, right? And it's going to be political and economic and spiritual. And I feel like every time I say political, I think of corruption. But what we're talking about here is perfection instituted by God glorifying God, right? And the reality is that Satan wants to set up a counterfeit kingdom that rules our economy, that has one national governmental system and also one world religion, all of which is opposed to Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. And I believe that what God is showing us here at the end is that ultimately the remnants of what was the ancient Roman Empire will be reconfigured. And today, or was the Roman Empire exist as nations, if you, if you want to know, uh, like Greece, Italy, Spain, Portugal, France, Belgium, and Holland, and even Romania. And, and what it says here in our passage is that at the end, among these nations, there would rise up a little horn. A little horn, right? Remember that? We read that. And horn here refers to king and kingdoms. Now, let me ask, who's the little horn? No, it's not Jesus. It's the counterfeit. It's the counterfeit. It's the counterfeit Jesus. It's the counterfeit king. It's the counterfeit kingdom, the counterfeit economy, the counterfeit religion. And let me ask you this. How does he start? It says, you know, how does he start? Little. He says it's little, insignificant, and unexpected. Here's a good application point for this. Satan always just wants a little start. He just wants you to give into a little temptation, just a little bit. Not much. Come on. You can do it. Want you to have a little compromise. Because once you have a little compromise and cowardice, a little fear, a little false teaching, 
not a lot, just a little. And like cancer, it eventually grows and kills you. He's good at that. And so it shows here, he starts little, but he gets big. He starts quiet, but he gets loud. If you allowed sane and demonic things into your life, this is exactly how it works. I mean, a little drugs becomes an addiction. A little alcohol becomes a wrecked, a wrecked life. A little immorality becomes an out-of-control marriage. True or false? True. That's how Satan works here, and it's how he always works. And the Antichrist here means two things. And if we look even in Re- Revelation, it means two things. Anti can mean against or replacement of. In the New Testament, in the first and second John, what we see being used is the language of the Antichrist and a lot of it. This Antichrist is spoken of a lot in Revelation. I mean, Revelation quotes Daniel 7 repeatedly. Daniel 7 is quoted or alluded to 58 times in the New Testament. And the majority of those occurrences are in the book of Revelation, looking at the end of the end. And the truth that we're told here is that Satan is always trying to do two things. Oppose all that is for Jesus and replace Jesus. That's his job. This still happens today. The Antichrist, I believe, is a person, will be a person, who is possessed by Satan in the end with extraordinary supernatural powers. And I also believe that Antichrist is referring to the spirit of Antichrist which is at work in every age and in every culture. And this spirit of Antichrist shows up politically, it shows up spiritually, it shows up morally, and it shows up economically. Now, we need to be reminded that our war is not against flesh and blood, but powers, principalities, and spirits. And we need to be reminded, church, that the backdrop of, of all of Daniel is spiritual warfare. It's actually a battle that started in heaven a long, long time ago. When Satan and demons declared war on God, they were thrown down on the earth. Remember that? They have continued their war, and they're seeking to recruit us to join their side, to be anti-Christ, to oppose Jesus and replace him as the highest authority, our greatest treasure, and the person that we love most dearly. The gravitational forces of this fallen world are always seeking to pull us down and not to rise up to love and to serve Jesus. That's what we see here, and it's prophesied through these four nation states. Let's continue with the next few verses. The remainder of the points are not as long. Verse 9 to 12 now. As I looked, so he gives a description of the four beasts, and now, as I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. Amen. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Let me just say this. Point number two. Point number two. The God who rules over the world is coming to rule in the world. I'll say that again. The God who rules over the world is coming to rule in the world. Now, who is Daniel talking about in these verses that we just read? God the Father. Verse 9 mentions that he took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. White usually symbolizes purity, perfection, and holiness. It continues and it says the hair on his head, he's using prophetic imagery here. Like pure wool, his throne was uh, fiery flames that usually symbolizes judgment. Its wheels were a burning fire, and that day, if you wanted something to be portable, you needed to put wheels on it, right? I think the point is that God's judgment and justice extends to all people, times, and places. 
in that there is nowhere that the judgment and justice of God does not travel. Right? Right now, God the Father rules and reigns in a kingdom that is as real as our nation, is as real as we are right here. Even more real because this world is tainted by sin. And the Lord Jesus Christ is seated on a throne, ruling and reigning as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And what this passage continues and says is that ultimately God has an army of angelic and divine beings. Thousands times thousands, the, the passage said, and 10,000 times 10,000 beings that remain faithful to him. They did not fall with Satan and the demons. These are faithful, loyal servants and soldiers. And we need to be reminded that God is always at work in human history. God is always at work to love, to seek, and to save and deliver his people. He always, that's, that's his plan. And this angelic army is available for the people of God too. And let me just, let me just add this side note. And, and many times this army is activated by our prayers. I know it sounds a little bit like, you know, but it's actually, it's got a footing in the Bible. Our, our, our prayers activate this, this angelic army by our spending time in prayer. That's what we do. Please keep this in mind. When you're tempted, sometimes you fall so easily because that army is not activated by your prayers. Your prayer life is very weak. That's what I'm saying. I, same goes for me. Sometimes we do not have because we do not pray. That's what the Bible says. The Bible speaks about that. And we're not talking about big homes and fancy cars. No, no, no. But the stuff that really matters to not fall into sin, to, to be holy, peace, joy, self-control, love, and patience, and contentment. This is what I'm talking about, stuff that matters. And this is a reality that you need to see by faith until you see it by sight. But the idea of these verses that we just read is that when all is said and done, Satan rules nothing, he rules absolutely nowhere. One of the great false teaching has been, I think Satan rules in hell and God rules in heaven. <laughs> no, 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 no. God rules all. <laughs> and there comes a time that God will destroy all that is against him. It says in Revelation, they were tormented forever. Who? Referring to the devil and his demons. Jesus rules hell and Jesus rules heaven. The only difference is grace versus no grace. We don't want to be in the no grace section. No, 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 no. That's the only difference. All Satan and demons receive eternally as judgment and justice. But let me just say this. You and I have all sinned. We've all rebelled. That's actually how we come into this world broken and sinful. And that, what that means is that we have joined the demonic side of the fight right from the get-go. That's how we come out. But Jesus didn't come in the image of a demon or to die for, a, for demons. He came in the image of humanity, right? To die for a sinful and broken humanity. So he lived without sin. He died for our sin. He rose as our savior. He conquered our enemy and he gives us eternity. The only difference between saints and the demons, in, a, in one way of saying it, is the grace of God poured out through the work of Jesus Christ. So let's not lie to ourselves and say, well, I'll just die and go to hell where everyone, everyone's having a good time and, you know, we'll drink a lot and we'll smoke a lot and do that. It's going to be great. Hell is not Vegas. No, no, no. Jesus rules over where? Everywhere. That's the point. Verse 12 says, as for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away. Again, to close this point, Satan and demons get absolutely nothing. Nothing. They get judgment, actually. Let's continue with the next section, verses 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of men. And he came to the ancient of days, and he was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Uh, when these two verses uh, mention he is like the son of men, this is referring to Jesus. This is, and this is the Bible 
kind of straining to, to give us apocalyptic imagery and to explain to us finite beings what Daniel saw, right? He's a man, but he's not just a man, right? He's eternal, and he's with God the Father, and he is in heaven, and the truth is that he sits on the throne, and he's with the angels right now, and he's being worshipped as the only one who deserves to be worshipped. And then as Daniel mentions here, he is like the Son of Man, and he will ride on a cloud. We just read that. Here's our third point, church. Jesus is coming on the clouds. Jesus is coming on the clouds, amen. Next time you're on a plane and let's say you're, you're in first class and you're like, I'm in first class and this is so cool. Look out the window, see a cloud and think Jesus is going to ride one of those. Like a skateboard into human history. You're not in first class. That, my friends, is first class when you ride into human history on a cloud. <laughs> I want you to picture that right now in the unseen world, right now in the presence of just, just try to do it. In the presence of Jesus right now, there is a throne. I'm not talking about any throne, the throne of thrones. Surrounding that throne are departed saints, our brothers and sisters who died in the Lord way before us, right? And in addition to God's human family, there's his divine family of angels and other divine beings. And right now, they are all watching us. They're watching human history, and they are waiting for Jesus to get off his throne, to get on his cloud, and to ride in with the host of heaven, right? And no nation will stand against him. No empire will stand against him. No antichrist will stand against him. He will come on the clouds to rule. You need to believe that history is closed, and it closes with the second coming of Jesus Christ. Let's continue with our reading with the last few verses. And this is a huge section because we're going to go 15 to 28, but we're going to cover this in one shot. So 15. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. This was Daniel, by the way. If you're confused today, oh, you're in good company. When he saw this, he's like, what is going on? Right? And we just got a glimpse by this verse, right? I was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. Yeah, that's us as we read Daniel 7. Daniel, thank you, you know. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest. Exceedingly terrifying, with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and in which devoured and broken pieces and stamped uh, what was left with its feet, and about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn that came up and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things and that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. Until the ancient of days came, and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth, and trample it down, and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them, he shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to ch change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment and his dominion shall be taken over to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. And last verse, here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Who? yeah, again, that was a mouthful, right? Did you pick up um, what verse 15 says right from the beginning? As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions in my head alarmed me. Uh, you know, some people are like, I wish God would tell me exactly what's going to happen. 
Uh, no, you would not. <laughs> no, you don't. You don't want to know. You would sleep with a helmet on, with one eye open, and a couple of guns in your hands, and you don't want to know. It, you would be a mess. Anxious and stressed and fear would just grip your life. Now, let me just say this. As you hear this, and as we read in verse 18, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. Here's the awesome news, and this is point number four. Point number four. If you worship Jesus, you'll be with Jesus forever. If you worship Jesus now, you'll be with Jesus forever. If you're a saint and a citizen of the kingdom of God, and this life is as close to hell as you will ever be, and resurrection and eternity is all that awaits you. Conversely, if you do not know Jesus, if you're not in a relationship with him, this is as close to heaven as you will ever be. And death and destruction is all that awaits us. Sad, but real and true. But if you are a follower of Jesus, which means you are a saint, it is only by the grace of God. It is only by the grace of God. Just think, just think, uh, just think of it. Satan and demons... There's no salvation for them, but sinners can become saints. And as you hear this, don't fall into this, you know, what I, what I like to call a modern or the modern, modern myth. And it's so annoying that so many times I listen, well, I don't listen anymore to the Christian radio, but I used to, right? And I, I don't, again, I don't do it so much, but they, they, they can be talking about, you know, Jesus and dying and rising in our place for our sins. And then, and then they'll just play a song which basically says how much I'm worth. What? <laughs> no. When, we see, when you see King Jesus entering into human history to die and rise from the dead to forgive your sins and bring you to a new life, do not think I must be awesome. Because that's not, that's not the point here. Think he must be awesome, right? That's why we don't go to heaven and sing songs about how amazing we are. I'm so worthy. I'm so amazing. Good pick, Jesus. Picking me is, you know, nice taste. You know, you're welcome. We, we don't have this. That's actually the attitude in hell. Or of hell, right? Let me just say this as we continue to get through the text. History gets worse before it gets better. I think Daniel 7 is such a testimony to that. As I said earlier, we're in the time between the times, between the first coming and the second coming of our King Jesus. First Roman Empire done, right? The reconfiguration of the remnants of the Roman Empire an entering of the Antichrist into, into human history, that is forthcoming. But we do not know when. But we live in the time between the times, and here's what happens. Things get worse before they get better. This is also because evolution is a joke. Evolution is a joke. I mean, it's a joke. We're not getting better. We're not. The world's not getting better. Our whole technology is being driven by the porn industry. We're changing our definitions of what a man is, what a woman is, and what marriage is, which is the foundational building blocks of our, our humanity and society. And now we're talking about murdering babies after they're out of the womb. Like, are things getting better? No, they're not. We should actually reverse the evolutionary chart. We're going backwards, right? It's going to get worse before it gets better. Somebody would probably say, you're a pessimist, Obi. No, actually, I'm not. I'm just a Christian, right? Which means everything that we do is wrong, and Jesus comes and makes it right. And so my hope is not for this world. It is not. It comes into this world with Jesus Christ. That's how I like to put it, right? Looking at verse 21, which says, and this is talking about the fourth beast, right? Daniel spends a lot of time on the fourth beast, this monstrosity, monstrosity, the remnant of the Roman Empire that will rise again. And it says, as I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. Here's point number five. So two more. If you are a saint, just know that you live in a war zone. If you're a saint, just know that you live in a war zone. Human history is a war zone, as we just looked at so many hundreds of years through these four empires, right? Um, there's a war on your marriage. There's a war uh, over your family. There's a war for your emotional health. There's a war over for your physical health, for your soul, for your spiritual health. There is a war. Now, how many of us feel that? Yeah, it feels like you're at war. Well, I'll tell you why. Because you are at war, right? Satan declared war on God, and if you belong to God, you are an enemy of his enemy. And Daniel says in this verse, as I looked, 
This horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. As Christians, we are standing firm and we are holding our ground best we know how in Christ, in the Lord. We are opposing all that is opposed to God. But it says here in this verse that Christians kind of lose, or at least for a moment or for a time. You know why? Our only victory is from Jesus, from Christ. Daniel goes on to say in verse 22, until the ancient of days came, talking about God. So God the Father comes and judgment is given for the saints of the Most High. And then verse 22, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Now, how does that happen? Well, Jesus comes back. We are waiting for Jesus to come back. And it's very interesting to me that there is continually an effort to, to say, if we all just come together, if we all just have unity and agree on setting aside our differences, heaven would come to earth. Actually, no, hell would come to earth. We belong to Jesus. We serve Jesus Christ. We worship King Jesus. We're waiting for King Jesus. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't work together. That's not my point. So Daniel continues to talk about this fourth beast devouring the whole earth. And out of this kingdom, ten horns or ten kings shall arise, and then another shall arise after them. And Daniel continues in verse 23 and says, He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times in the law, and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. Now, the problem is eventually you get worn out. How many of you are there? You're like, uh, I'm just tired of life. I, I just am, right? I love Jesus, and if you would come right now, that would be absolutely amazing. Come, Lord Jesus. And I feel like I'm just knocked out sometimes, right? It's because you're up against demonic forces every single day. That's if you try to live in holiness. If you're not, no one cares about you. If you're not in Christ, in the Lord, no one cares about you. The devil's like, he's in our team. That's fine. Don't worry about him. We got him, right? Not sure if you picked up this, uh, picked this up in, 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 in this verse where it says that this horn will think to change the times and the law. Well, this is talking about God's law. And we know that the spirit of Antichrist is already trying to do that, right? But let me just say this as well. Anytime, anytime there are those who claim to belong to Jesus Christ and are trying to change the law, they are trying to change something in the Bible. They are ultimately Antichrist. Simply put, let me just say this, and most of the time, especially today, it's sexual, right? And most of the time, people that have a theological problem with the Bible actually have a moral problem with their behavior. Rather than changing their morality, they try to rewrite God's law, and we see this happen all the time today. These things are not just what will happen, but what always happens when the spirit of Antichrist is at work in the world. One of two things will change, your behavior or the Word of God. If you change the Word of God instead of your behavior, you're antichrist, simply put. I'm actually saying it with a smile on my face because that's, that's the truth. You're opposing Christ and replacing Christ with you as the highest authority, as the king, as the judge. But ultimately, and we need to be reminded of this, and here's the sixth point, the last point. The saints of God ultimately experience the victory of God. I'll say that again. The saints of God ultimately experience the victory of God. Amen? Just hear me on this. This life is so short. And the things that we labor for are so cheap. The life that God has for us never ends, and his provision is without measure. You need to keep the long view of things, especially on the hard days when everything is bleak and dark and you're sad and, and you want to just, just take off of this planet. You need to think an eternal scope through the lens of eternity in, that, in those days. God's people should not be thinking in terms of minutes, hours, months, or years, but millennia and eternity, right? That's how you get your eyes off of your problems and you set them on Christ and your life with Christ forever. That's what God wants you to see, where, where you're going, what he has for you so you have hope and run toward the future. So let me just encourage you again with verse 27. In the kingdom, in the dominion, and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole 
heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. That's us. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Again, let me just say, the spirit of Antichrist exists in every age. And I believe there will be a person at the end of times who will, who will, be, the, who will be possessed by, the, by Satan and they will have, he will have extraordinary powers. Let me just show us in closing a few verses uh, from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. And Paul calls them the men of lawlessness. Let no one deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. So he shows up in the rebuilt temple. He sits on the throne and says, Jesus is here. He dares do that. He's obviously the counterfeit. Proclaiming himself to be God. Let me just read verses 9 and 10 as well. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan. With all power and false signs and wonders. And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing. Because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Wow, there's so much in there. What's the moral of this story? Maybe like a secondary application point, right? If you chase power, you will meet the devil. If you chase miracles, you will meet Satan. We don't chase miracles or power. We chase Jesus. And we do not follow signs, wonders, and miracles, but we expect signs, wonders, and miracles to follow us as we follow our Savior Jesus. Does that make sense? What this means is that Satan will, will do counterfeit supernatural things to lead us astray. It's already happening, that spirit of the Antichrist, right? He will heal your cancer if he can damn your soul. He will do that. So for us, we don't seek signs, wonders, miracles. We seek the will of God. If there should be a sign or wonder or miracle, we receive it. But if death by cancer, if we are going to experience death by cancer, as hard as that is, we receive that because to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is hard. But this is the word of God. May God help us. I wish I had like seven more hours. But let me just close with this. All of human history will come to a pass. Just as God prophesied and promised. Revelation 17 says that after the saints, after God's people will be worn out to the point of death. What happens afterwards? Friends, what, happen, what happens afterwards? Then Jesus comes back. And he'll wipe every tear from your eye. And sin will be no more. And he will call you by name because he loves you by name. And he knows you by name. And you will leave your grave in a glorified body. And you will, and you will see God's human and divine family brought together. And the Lord Jesus will say, you get to, and I'm paraphrasing, you get to rule and reign in my kingdom. And I have little thrones for you. And I'm going to bring the demons before you because God's saints will judge the angels, the fallen angels. There is a day coming when Jesus is fully vindicated and you also get to participate in the victory of Jesus for all eternity. I want you to have hope. I want us to have hope for that future. Even if in the moment it just seems bleak and dark and sad and heavy and, and, and just you feel broken. Originally, this was written to people who were far from home. Are we far from home? Yes. Then find hope in these verses. Are you worn out just like they were? Yes, but find strength in these verses. They were fearful that the world was getting darker and worse, just like we are today. And I'm sure they were scared for their kids and their grandkids. Anyone feel that? And these verses show us and encourage us by reminding us that God is sovereign, that God knows, that God rules, that God reigns, and that Jesus Christ is the king. And his invisible kingdom will become visible, and that his unseen rule will be seen by all. And that's coming soon. Your Jesus, my Jesus, is not just bigger than we think. He is bigger than you can ever think. And he is... And, and when he's done, 
everyone and everything will be ruled by him. And all things will be magnificent. All things will be wonderful. All things will be brilliant. All things will be breathtaking, spectacular, incredible. And all things will be grand. And all things will be glorious. And all the saints of God will be filled with joy. That's us. And excitement. And they will be cheering for Jesus Christ. And that right there will only be the beginning of our eternity. And joy will only increase every day in eternity. Thanks for tuning in to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you live for more.